Lord, we are blessed to be here this morning in your presence. It's our privilege to offer our worship to you. We welcome your Holy Spirit here to teach us, to lead us with your light. Father, and in light of the current events of this day, in light of the pain of what happened 10 years ago today, in light of the things that we struggle in our da- within our daily life, this morning we ask you the simple question, in light of your word, how then shall we live? So we open ourselves to you, in Christ's name, amen. morning. Good morning, Neil. This is my buddy. Got lots of buddies in this uh, group here. I'm stalling for the table. <laughs> no better guys to hang out with, though, if you got to stall a little bit. This morning, I just want to tell you that... Uh, I'm going to bring a little bit different style of a message to you than you're used to. Typically, Pastor Brad brings us an outstanding, in-depth, exegetical message. Now, if I was having troubles with my vehicle, but they were very obscure and I couldn't figure out, I would drive into an auto shop and uh, the guy who's going to analyze it, like Brad does, He brings out the computer and he plugs it in and he starts reading screens and he goes deeper and deeper and deeper until he finds the answer or he finds the directive, tells us what we need to do there. This message this morning will be a topical one. Now I also might come driving into an automobile repair shop. I've got problems. I just drove in from Glen Allen and... uh, This vehicle just isn't sounding good. It doesn't feel good. It's bumping and grinding all over the road, and I go in and I tell the guy, I don't know what's wrong, but it it just is in bad shape. And he said, "Uh, well, how long have you been driving in this condition? Oh, just a couple hundred miles. I figure it might get better. Well, how fast were you going? Not too fast, 75, 80, typical between here and Glen Allen, you know. He walks around the the rear of my vehicle and he says, you realize you have a flat tire? You're kidding. I don't know much about cars. And then he says, well, actually, you have no tire anymore. You're on your rim, what's left of it. I felt it was a little bit like driving over railroad tracks and whatever, you know. I've got a great attitude about driving. I want to be a good driver. But I really don't know that much about cars. So he says... We better talk about a few things, maybe like tires and rims and uh, listening a little better. That's what we're going to do today with our topical message. For me, it's quite an adventure to be standing up here. I don't do this very often. Bit of a risk. I have a lot of respect for my friend Tom Downing, who with 24 hours notice, maybe 18, I don't know, He just gets a call and he gets a message together and he's right up here and blessing us with uh, 
truths from the Word. That is not easy to do. I'm here to say, and maybe Tom would admit, it is an adventure. There is a risk at coming up here to do that. There's also a need for preparation, and I think Tom must stay up all night uh, the way he brings the Word at short notice like that. I'm not sounding like Brad's always sick, but uh, <laughs> Tom is his go-to guy, and he does a great job, and he always comes prepared, and it seems that God does prepare us for whatever his assignment is. And then the other part of faith is, I mean, the other part of adventure is it takes faith. You don't want to come up here without faith. If you, th if you think you can pull this off on your own resources, uh, think again. But it's good to be up here. Uh, thank you, Brad, for the opportunity. The question is today, how shall we then live? I want to go to Scripture, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And as I was uh, going through this earlier in the week, I looked at these two verses and then I looked across the page at the earlier part of the third chapter of 1 Timothy and realized there's a whole section there that outlines the qualifications and the character for our leaders. Hmm, interesting. And then with these last couple verses, we're going to ask, how do we live? And then I get to thinking, and Brad has had us for a number of weeks in the book of Romans, also written by Paul, teaching us what we need to believe. So we have what we need to believe, character and qualifications of leadership, and now, okay, how are we supposed to live? Let me read these two verses. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let me first ask the question. When you walked into this building, did you enter the church? Did you enter the body of Christ? The world would tell us this building is a church. And when I'm kind of forced to write it that way, I use a small c. Because the world does know this as the church. I go to that church, but I don't really go to that church. I'm part of this body, which is the church, and we happen to assemble ourselves here. Paul is saying, I'm not, I'm not going to show you how you need to behave on Sunday mornings between 11 and 1230. Well, there's some of that there, too. But more important, how are we to conduct ourselves in our life? Let me read that again. I am writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And hopefully we can avoid these flat tires that uh, get us onto the rim or learn to help each other as we change those and get back on the road. So Paul is telling us in Romans what to believe. He's showing us what our leaders need to be like. And now, how do we conduct ourselves? 
The basic answer to that question, how are we to conduct ourselves, I believe is summed up in the reality that God calls us to a life of adventure. It includes coming up here for me to speak. It includes many other things. But God wants us living on the very edge and depending on Him. So adventure, we need to define it. Adventure to the world is that it's extreme recreation. And the world's great at it. And we cover it, we film it, we put it on television, and we sit down and watch it. It's amazing how big a part of our lives in this world called America, in the Western world, is uh, centered on watching adventure. God's intention, however, is that we would live the adventure. The true adventure is outlined in Scripture. You might say, I don't remember reading that word, adventure. Well, we're not looking at the word necessarily, but we're looking at what makes up that whole concept of adventure. Look at Acts 19.31 for a moment. Paul is challenging a false god system and... Uh, in this certain, I've, I've slipped me uh, the town they're in, but, oh, it's the, uh, the god Artemis. And there must be hundreds of artisans there who are making small gods or any size gods out of silver to worship the god Artemis. And with Paul's preaching that that is a false god, they are being threatened. Their livelihood could be taken away from them, and they're angry. And these hundreds or perhaps thousands of artisans then go to the theater where the debates happen. And they start to complain about this. And uh, things are getting out of control. And Paul, you can imagine his personality, he wants to go in and debate with these guys. And his friends say, no, Paul, you stay away from there. You go in there, it's dangerous. You're going to get hurt. You could get killed. In those days, they weren't beyond doing something like that. The actual words in uh, Acts 19.31, begging him not to venture into the theater, the assumption is, the knowledge is that it is very dangerous. Venture, adventure, same root words, that's where we're going to go this morning. We must also keep in mind that adventure, even God's adventure, gets redefined by the world, and it becomes a counterfeit fit in many cases. Are we surprised? The enemy has a plan against us, and he will take us down any way he can, even if he can redefine our spiritual beliefs. Here's adventure in a nutshell. I've already said it. Every legitimate adventure has three primary ingredients. One, risk or danger. Two, preparation or training. And three, faith. It's at the point of faith that we split off from the world to a great deal. 
The world defines that much differently than we do, and we'll come back to that. Ten years ago this morning, at about 8.30 New York time, I was at my daughter's home in Pearl River, New York. She was wrapping up seven years of working with Africa Inland Mission in their U.S. headquarters. She was planning to marry the love of her life in December, and she was packing up. I was there to help her pack up. We were loading her things and going to drive to Minnesota. At 8.30, my son calls from Ohio, and he said, I just discovered that it looks like a plane has crashed into one of the World Trade Towers. Maybe you want to turn on the television and check out the news. And you know the story from there. You all probably know where you were when that news started breaking. Not only was one tower hit, shortly after that a second was hit. Then the Pentagon. And then a fourth plane crashed into a rural field in Pennsylvania. America was under attack. The intent was to take America down as much as possible. Some amazing things happened that day. We will never forget them. In my mind, one of the lasting images is of the rescue people, the policemen, the firemen, and the uh, first responders entering the World Trade Center buildings, the two towers, and as the people were flooding down and out, they went up. You could see in their eyes it wasn't their choice. They were on a mission. They were on assignment. They were trained to do this. They knew it was dangerous, and they went with whatever form of faith they had, some, I'm sure, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and the others just hoping, maybe against hope, that things would turn out well. These folks, in all reality, were going into the adventure of their lives. And true to all great adventures, we could lose our life, and in fact, many of them were killed. Now at this point, before we jump into analyzing the three Ingredients of adventure, I want to caution us. I want to caution us as the Western church because, because we have a propensity to do this. It is the two words, yes, but syndrome. We often look at scripture. We often see things going on in the world, other places than our own world. And it seems that maybe there should be an application to our lives, but we say, well, I don't experience it quite like that. Yes, I see it for the rest of the world or for someone else, but it doesn't feel like that's aimed at me. That is a strong caution that we need to adhere to. It's dangerous for us when the persecution, when the danger of adventure is going on in the rest of the world, when it's all through Scripture, when it's in Africa and other places in the world, and we're not experiencing it to say, oh, yes, but, but that's for someplace else, some other fo folks. I encourage us 
to avoid the yes but at all costs. <clears throat> okay, how then shall we live? Number one element of adventure, risk or danger. Let me start by saying, and this doesn't feel good to any of us, I'm sure, there is no couch sitting with true adventure. We do witness a lot of adventure from our couches. We watch a lot of adventure. There is adventure on the NFL football field. Huge risks. After every game, we look at the uh, report on the medical end of things. So-and-so is out. Somebody else broke a leg while they're gone for three months. And we sit and we watch and we feel like we've been to an adventure, like we've lived an adventure. It's not true. We can watch it, but we cannot experience it for ourselves from the couch. <clears throat> Several years ago, 2001, I went to a John Eldridge seminar. He called it a boot camp in Colorado. He's the one that wrote Wild at Heart, and he put boot camps on for men. And I went to, uh, actually went to two boot camps in two years, and I came away realizing that one of John's strong messages is that every man has an adventure to live. Now, I believe that, and I think most men come away from that believing that is true. Women, don't sit back and count yourself out. This message, this message of adventure is for men, for women, and children. It's easy for us to talk about adventure with men because, you know, we're a little more burly. We tend to go into the wilderness a little more often, we tend to watch a little more football. So we must like adventure more. But anyway, <clears throat> here's the reality with men who have been to John Eldridge's seminars. They go home and say, yes, <clears throat> I realize I am supposed to live an adventure. So they go float the Colorado River in a raft. They go find a really high bridge and bungee, bungee jump off of it or learn to parachute or on and on it goes. And then they go home and say, well, that was great. I had my adventure. I don't think so. Sure, we had an adventure. But is that my adventure? I don't even believe that's what John Eldridge is talking about. And I know it's not what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about when he invites us into his adventure. So... I was working with men, and I said, I've got to go further with this. There's more to this adventure stuff. So where do I go? I went to the dictionary. What did the dictionary tell me about adventure? Risk or danger. Period. That was it. Nothing else. Oh, this isn't anything new. We already knew this. So I went from there, and I, I sat down. I started thinking... There's got to be more on this. So I went to Scripture, and I started reading, and I started looking at various uh, characters that God had put on assignment 
And I began to realize every one of them, man, woman, or child, who was put on assignment from God, faced risk or danger. Have you ever gone to Scripture and, and thought that through? There was no one who had an easy life. There was no one who had clear sailing. David, being one of the younger ones, faced the biggest, baddest giant there was. And we'll talk about some others in a few moments. So I began to realize if risk and danger is the definition of adventure, there are a lot of adventures in the scripture. In fact, probably every one of them is an adventure. Two weeks ago, friends were at my house and they brought this magazine, National Geographic, from about May. It caught my eye and the eye of the fellow that brought it to me. Because we'd both climbed together, California, Colorado, various places around the country, years and years ago. I don't want to tell you how many years ago. A long way. And he brought this picture and he said, this, no, this picture is not photoshopped. It's the real thing. He said he's, he believes this has to be one of the top ten pictures of this century. Realizing we're only 11 years into it. But it is an amazing picture. It was taken of this guy named Alex Honnold on the south, on the, uh, on the face of Half Dome in Yosemite Valley in California. He's on the northwest route, 2,000 feet of vertical rock, nothing but a few cracks in it. He has found a very shallow ledge 100 feet from the top. For the last two hours and 40 minutes, he has been climbing unroped and alone to this point. And the article tells how now he has a moment of doubt. Two days earlier, with ropes, he had climbed this route and he had done the whole thing, clear sailing. He knew he could do it. But now, 100 feet from the top, he is doubting himself. Note what he's standing on. His feet, front to back, are filling this small ledge. Figure a man's foot, you know, nine, ten inches. Before the service, I went over and I looked at the ledge on this rock work here. That's about a four and a half or five inch ledge. Double the width of that and stand on that ledge with your back against a straight wall. What can you do with yourself? You bend over two inches forward? No. Drives you off. It's an amazingly precarious, dangerous spot to be in. Anybody question that? Okay. How then shall we live if risk and danger are the number one, the first ingredient of adventure? What does Scripture say about risk and danger? And I think with, along with risk and danger, we ought to include loss, pain, suffering. We're going to read some scriptures here now. I would encourage you to take these scriptures home, sit down at the dinner table tonight or sometime with your family and, and go through this and just ask yourselves, how often is risk or danger or pain or suffering or abuse 
mentioned in Scripture. It is amazing. In our culture, we tend to ignore it. We tend to avoid it. Here we go. I'm going to read through them quickly. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Two words to consider here that are very important. Take up our what? Cross. What is a cross for? Sacrifice. It's a killing machine. If I'm going to pick up my cross and carry it, it's an instrument of my own death. In fact, Scripture even asks me to die to, to, to self. How often? Well, I had an experience when I was 23 years old, and I, I really uh, faced some tough things for the Lord, and that was good. Uh, it's been a few years ago, you know, but I had my experience. I don't think so. Scripture says, take up our cross daily. It just doesn't fit in our Western culture, does it? But I don't see any exemption clause in Scripture either for those of us who are privileged to live in the Western world. 1 Peter 2, 19 and 21. For it is commendable if a man bar bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is a commendable, this is commendable before God. Second Corinthians, this is one of my favorites. It's Paul's litany of what he has been through. And I realize we're not all privileged to suffer as Paul did. But I think he ought to be our hero. And if he is our hero, that opens us to some things. Here we go. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Two, 195 lashes, if my math is right. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger for, from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, and in danger from false brothers. That last one is almost the worst, I think. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I don't think Paul's con complaining. I don't think he's trying to make his case before the Lord. There's something here that says, Paul just said, this is good. I was privileged to be a part of this. 2 Timothy 1.8, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us 
and called us to a holy life. Suffering is part of a holy life? I got to do some thinking about this. Romans 5, 3 to 4, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Unbelievable, huh? I mean, we get a pain and we're off to the pharmacy. Don't you have a pill that can take this away for me? We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Brad, I know you'd like to run up here and uh, diagnose this one from <laughs> Romans 5, but you just stay seated for a minute here. I know, and we love it. We appreciate it. Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. No guts, no glory. Is that what they say? No sharing and suffering. If we're not willing to do that, there will be no sharing and glory. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anything we don't understand about that? 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amazing. We'd love to come across here now with some yeah buts, wouldn't we? Yeah, but I'm not ready. Yeah, but I'm a pretty good guy, and I, I would think that only bad people suffer. It's not true. How about bil biblical characters? What do we learn from them? Let's start with Mary. Let's talk about a woman. Did she suffer? <clears throat> Any women here want to volunteer to stand in her place? 90 miles, trip to Bethlehem, eight months pregnant. They're arguing whether she rode a donkey or walked. Who cares? Is anyone worse or better? That woman had to have suffered. David. We know he suffered, lived in the wilderness, went up against uh, some amazing foes, Saul trying to take him out regularly, daily. John the Baptist, we know what kind of an end he came to. Anybody want to choose that one? How about Moses? All those plagues, all those people complaining thirsty, hungry, and we're tired of the same old stuff? Elijah, I can't even enumerate all the things that he endured. But in the midst of a heavy drought, he finds his way to a widow's home who has a son, and she's got just enough flour and oil for one little pancake left. And he said, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me that pancake. They were all facing it in a big way. Peter, we know how his life ended. Paul, we read about that. So how then 
are we to live? We who are people committed to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't we people who are challenged to live, even embrace dangers, risks, and loss? In pursuit of Jesus, the suffering will find us. We don't have to go looking for it. Amazingly, this morning in my reading, and I wanted to skip my morning reading in the worst way, I got up, I was uh, thinking about the message. I thought, Lord, you'll forgive me for not doing my read through the Bible this morning. I'll read through my sermon. We'll get on to some scripture. And something said, just go sit down in the living room and read your chapter today. So I did. How amazing, how appropriate. Mark 10, 29 and 30. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. This is good. Oh, there's one more thing. And with them, persecution. Unbelievable. We can't get away from it. <clears throat> Lost my place a second. Hang on. Let's go on to the second ingredient. Second ingredient in adventure is Preparation or training. Every legitimate adventure involves some, some form of preparation or training, or it is simply a foolish stunt. Let's go back to our climber on Yosemite's Half Dome. Alex Honnold is in a very dis- desperate, dangerous situation, and we've admitted that, we've acknowledged it. What we also must recognize is that he is very well prepared to be where he's at. If he was not prepared, he would never have ended up there. Can you imagine any of you who has never climbed all of a sudden finding yourself 2,000 feet up on a 10-inch shelf? 2,000 feet below you? It doesn't happen. He got there out of being very well prepared, trained, experienced to the extreme. It's the same for any other legitimate adventure, even adventure in the kingdom. Every legitimate adventure involves some form of preparation or it's a foolish stunt or it may as well be considered suicide. It's in Scripture, too, the importance of being ready. You remember the story of the seven sons of Sceva in Acts? That ring a bell? 
These seven young men, probably feeling their oats, witnessed someone or others casting out demons. So they get the bright idea, hey, this would be cool. We could cast out demons too. I think they even heard some names. We're going to cast them out maybe in Jesus' name. So they set about to do this. They found someone that was possessed of demons and started uh, casting them out. And the demon said, sorry, fellas, I'm taking over here. Beat them bloody, stripped them naked, and ran them out of the house. These guys had no clue what they were doing. They were not prepared. They were not taught. They were not ready. How about some other biblical characters? How about Moses? How was he prepared? I believe he came from a good, godly household. <clears throat> so he wouldn't get killed. His mother put him in a basket, watched over him until he was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh. <clears throat> they took him in, and he lived in Pharaoh's household for many years. Tremendous upbringing. He also spent years in the wilderness tending sheep. I wonder sometimes if we ought not to buy a flock of sheep and kind of pass them around. There are a lot of incidences of people learning a lot of things from sheep. There's even a couple good books in the Christian world, What I Learned from a Sheep. <laughs> David, he also had a godly upbringing. You remember the scriptures he was quoting to the giant Goliath as he was rushing into battle. You just don't wake up someday and know those things. It takes a little memorization. He also spent years in the wilderness learning to tend sheep. He was trained as a warrior, and he practiced over and over and over. Mary, <clears throat> we have to assume a godly upbringing there as well. Spent three months with her, with uh, Elizabeth prior to delivering. Great training times. Paul, trained in the best schools as a Pharisee. God gave him visions to help to teach him. Yet he spent time with Ananias and other disciples. How about Noah? Here's my favorite in this area. How did Noah get trained? Anyone know? It's great. It's perfect. Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a righteous man. How did he become righteous? Then after he was righteous, I think he went off to trade school for a couple, three, maybe ten years, learned how to build an ark. I made that up. Not at all. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among people of his time, and he walked with God. If you had your choice of any option to be trained for anything, would this be first on your list? Simply to walk with God. Okay, you think of the adventure that your children will probably, if they not, have not already begun to walk in. And you say, how can I... Prepare my children for what's ahead. 
It's not rocket science. Start to walk with God with your children. The training will be there. I don't know if the guys are here this morning, but I know that there are two young fellows who wrestle at uh, Grace Christian School and, and attend this church, are part of this church body, who went off for two weeks of intense wrestling training this summer in the lower 48. It was tough. It was hard. It took them to the, the very end of their resources and then took them beyond. These fellows will go into another adventure in wrestling this fall, and they will be prepared. Sometimes we have to go after the training. How then are we to live in the area of preparation? 2 Timothy 2.15 is a great scripture for us. And men, don't do a yabat here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but is able to rightly divide the word of truth. Again, this is not rocket science. It may be to go to one scripture verse and say, Lord, what do you have to teach me from this scripture today? Little by little, we must submit ourselves to God and let him prepare us. Third element in adventure, faith. And we have to ask the question here, how important is faith to God? How important is our faith in Him to God? Someone answer that? Very important. Got any location for that, Neil? We've been there. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please God. There isn't another way. We must have a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is where the world deviates considerably from the adventure God calls us to. Let's go back to Mr. Honnold, the Yosemite climber. Again, he's high on Half Dome, 2,000 feet up, 100 feet from the top. The story I read there is that he's having a moment of doubt, and he has no other options. He is alone. He has to rely on his own resources, his own skill, his own determination, and he's questioning himself. I used to climb with a fellow back in my college days, who claimed to be <clears throat> an atheist, very good climber, maybe the best climber in Minnesota, much better than I was. And when we were sitting around the stove cooking our dinner at night or taking long drives to the mountains, we'd talk philosophically and he'd say, you know, John, if we keep, up, keep this climbing up long enough, we will get the chop. What does he mean by get the chop? We will die. We will fall. It'll be the end. 
You know, I've thought about that. That's terrible. Terrible odds. The reality is that, basically depending on luck, is the world's form of faith. Personally, I don't want to go there. Their faith doesn't grab me at all. So what's faith all about? Faith is coming to the end of our own resources, our own preparation, our own abilities, and not having anywhere to go. We have a couple of choices here. One, we can quit and go home. Mr. Honnold can't. He will have to find a way out of there. Or we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he has us on assignment, and if we are on his adventure, he will not let us down. I love to go to Joshua 3, 7 7 to 17. He's leading the Israelites. You know, they're moving as a people, hundreds of thousands. They come to the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage. They have no way to cross. They have to get across. They can't build a bridge. They don't have the tools. They they don't know what to do. They can whine and complain, turn around and keep wandering. I love this account. God is talking to Joshua. It says, and as soon as the priests, here's the plan. You're going to go carry the ark up to the edge of the water. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. But I'm not going to do it until their feet touch the water. You must trust me. That is what living by faith is. In God's adventure, we will always come to the water's edge with no way of our own to get across. Summarizing this, how, do we, how then shall we live? How do we go about living God's adventure in regards to risk or danger? I think the first place is to stop ignoring it in Scripture. Stop pretending it doesn't exist. It is there. It's out there. It's a reality. It's a disservice or a disfavor to our children not to prepare them with that. So in regards to preparation and training, note what's coming and say, Lord, I want to be ready. In regards to faith, interesting concept. How do we develop daily faith in our lives? Again, it's a a relationship with the Lord. It's saying, Lord, I trust you. I'm not capable. 
Yes, is there any part of this that we'd like to avoid or skip altogether? Right. But that's not going to happen. I'd like to just share a little letter that I opened up on the email this morning. Most of us know of Jeff and Elizabeth Perry. They were here this last spring and shared some of their life in the Sudan that they were going to. He's a doctor. They were going as missionaries. And I just happened to open this up on my computer this morning. Talk about a life of faith and facing danger. Listen to this quickly. Dear partners, thank Jesus with us. We found a good van at a good price within three hours of starting our search on Monday. Thanks for praying. We have been in Kampala now for one week, and it has been a crash course in East Africa City Life 101. Living in the isolated jungle of South Sudan is much different than this metropolis of 8 million people, capital city on the shores of Lake Victoria, dealing with horrendous traffic jams and smog <coughs> to rival or exceed Los Angeles. No emissions controls here. Several of the kids have coughs. You know, I think they have nine children, eight or nine. They have coughs, either bronchitis or due to the pollution. The map actually shows which streets are permanently jammed every morning from seven to nine. It took us about three hours to cross the city and attend a family gathering of one of the staff members from Harvesters. This is, however, the closest commercial center for us and it is a 15-hour drive to the other option. <clears throat> the quickest way to get around is the Boda Boda, African term for motorcycle taxi. It is, however, an act of faith as I hop on with a total stranger, and he takes off, dodging through traffic, barely missing oncoming trucks, open manholes, people on mo bicycles, and then it starts raining to make it more fun. And I don't mean just a little rain. We're, taking, we're talking about a monsoon. Oh, and throw in carrying large amounts of cash strapped to my body as I was on my way to purchase the vehicle. As I was stopped waiting out the rain, I noticed the following written on the mud flap of another Boda Boda. If Jesus says yes, who can say no? Protected by the blood of Jesus. On the same boat of Boda, it also said, be safe, always wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Very funny on a motorcycle. Life here truly is out of our control, but we cling to our God and remember his words in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And together with your prayer, we are protected and provided for by our great God. Why would we want to let those folks in Africa have all the great adventure that God has out there for us? So how then shall we live in regards to risk and danger? Bring it on. In regards to preparation and training, whatever it takes. In regards to faith, Lord, I believe, 
help me with my unbelief. It's God's adventure. We could say it's our life. But let's give it to him. We have the wonderful opportunity this morning of witnessing a young man in baptism. He's made the decision to give his life totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he's embarking on an amazing adventure. Matt, I would say, welcome to a tough, tough journey. But one where God has never, never, never let us down. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian, the pastor of the youth ministry as well as the young adult ministries here at Cornerstone. How then shall we live? What a great opportunity this weekend to live this out. And even cooler that we have about 60 little ones from upstairs. Thank you for being here this morning. Baptism is a symbol, symbolic for what we acknowledge in Christ, that he died for our sins, was risen from the dead for us, and that we are taking steps in our faith as we live this adventurous life to honor him in front of the body, to share together as a family with what we're going to do and continue to do in our walk. This morning I have Matthew Muniz with me, and I am honored this morning to be up here to be a part of this baptism because Matt, I've known him for a couple years now, and he was in our young adults ministry, and him and his beautiful bride, Amelia, uh, we had the opportunity to marry them and go through marriage counseling with them, and so um, it's been a great adventure for me to see him and his wife as they, as they have grown in their faith in Christ. And, uh, and has now recently, uh, you know, asked, you know, for, hey, can I get baptized? I'm like, yes, awesome, praise God. Let's share that as a body. So, Matt, do you acknowledge that Christ has died for your sins? I do. Awesome. And you are obviously doing it through being a, a man of God who is taking care of Obviously, um, to, to continue to walk in faith and live this life, adventurous like John is talking about. I do. Well, then, Matt, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's stand and sing our praise.